Hello and welcome to the November 2017 edition of the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. My name's Colin Yeo. This month I'm covering a few bits of immigration news. I'm going to cover several cases I've grouped together on detention issues. I'm going to run through some other case law, Supreme Court, Court of Appeal, High Court, Upper Tribunal, and then end with a mention for some new explainer pieces that we've put together. All of the material is drawn from the November 2017 blog post on free movement, and if you want to claim CPD points for listening, then please head over to www.freemovement.org.uk slash training. Starting then with some news, from 13th of November 2017, um, a set of new rules have come in in um, Crown Court and Magistrates Court trials. Now, these require any defendant to state their nationality, and it's actually a criminal offence um, to fail to comply with this without reasonable excuse, and that includes providing false or incomplete information. Maximum prison sentence of up to 51 weeks for uh, for that offence. So it's fairly transparently um, clear that the whole purpose of this is basically to gather immigration enforcement information um, early on in the criminal justice system. Everybody, of course, all defendants are having to state this, There are concerns about whether this is practical, um, as the Australian dual citizenship saga shows for those who've been following it with um, a whole load of lawmakers basically having to resign because it turned out that they held more than one nationality. Um, It's not clear what your nationality is in all cases. There could easily be stateless people, there could be people who simply don't understand or know what the nationality is, and um, the concerns that if this was enforced, then um, th- this could cause serious problems for um, some migrant defendants. Whether that all comes to pass, we don't know. It's early days, but um, keep an eye on that. Um, another piece of very interesting news for immigration lawyers was um, came out of the BBC, who've been conducting quite a long-term investigation into asylum success rates at different hearing centres. And um, the the data's come back. Um, I know they've been working on this for months because I I talked to them a while while ago about it. And um, we're talking about percentage success rates in asylum cases as low as 21% at Yarlswood, even after fast-track cases have been taken out, 24% in Belfast, 28% in Glasgow, and then it goes as high as 47% at Taylor House, um, 43% at, at Richmond Magistrates Court, which is now closed, um, 44% at Newport, 40% at Hatton Cross. So you can see really a very considerable variation in success rates there. And it's very interesting to consider what the, the reasons might be. I mean, is it um, judging culture? Is it degree of local specialisation by lawyers? Um, is it that certain communities group in certain places? One doesn't know but certainly on the face of it that variation in success rates is is very concerning and it seems to give you um, a better chance of winning at some hearing centres than at others. Okay another quick bit of news before we move on to some of the cases um, it was announced in November that the number of tier one exceptional talent visas will be doubled from 1,000 to 2,000 per year and it was also fairly clear I think that changes to, were going to be made to the immigration rules which were indeed subsequently announced. It's a bit baffling why this was being done other than if it was for PR purposes, basically, um, by which I mean public relations rather than permanent residence or anything of that nature, Um, because the um, I understand the existing limit of 1000 wasn't actually being met already. So doubling it to 2000 looks like a bit of a waste of time. Um, We'll certainly need to see some loosening up of the rules for for that um, that announcement to to have any effect. But um, left wondering whether really it was for 
the um, news cycle rather than for um, real life, so to speak. Moving on to cases, there are several different um, detention cases that I said I wanted to cover. The first of these is um, MS against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2017 EWHC 2797 admin. And this is a case where the High Court has basically found that potential homelessness isn't justification for detention and that the fact that a person doesn't have an address to be released to doesn't extend the lawful period of time for which a person can be detained. So it's an interesting case with potentially wider ramifications. Um, I don't know whether there's an appeal in this case, but um, assuming that it stands, it could be a very helpful precedent for those who are um, trying to help clients caught in a kind of catch-22 situation where uh, in order to get released uh, an address is needed but to get an address release is needed kind of type thing which which can happen and um, the High Court was very unimpressed I think in this case with the um, with the arguments that the Home Office was putting so uh, a finding of unlawful detention was made. Okay, moving on to a damages case. We don't get many of these being reported, so we thought it was worth mentioning. This is a case called Saptoka. Um, it's uh, reference 2017 EWHC 2857 admin. And this is a case where um, the claimant had been unlawfully detained for 36 days after immigration officials wrongly decided that he was attempting to extend his leave by entering into a bigamous marriage. Now, the, um, he basically wasn't given any opportunity to um, suggest that it wasn't a bigamous marriage, and I think it turns out that it, it wasn't, in fact, and um, he was just sort of clapped in irons and, and taken away, essentially. So it's, it's quite a useful case for reviewing what the principles are on calculating damages and also uh, looking at sort of quantum in the case is, is, is always interesting to compare it to other situations. So in total, an award of £24,515.42 was made, along with interest. And um, this is on the basis, really, that he not only got compensatory damages, but also aggravated damages, because he was treated in a humiliating way, it was high-handed and oppressive, and the initial detention was extremely and unnecessarily distressing and traumatic. Um, so there's several different um, findings that are made there. So he gets general damages of 11,000 and then um, further, I think, 12,000 or so for um, the, the rest of the time. OK, moving on. Um, there's another important case. And again, this one potentially has wider significance, or it's really two cases, I suppose, actually. They're linked together. Two cases called Jolla and Lupepe. And the first one is reference 2017, EWHC 2821 admin and the second is 2017 EWHC 2690 admin and um, essentially the, the same reasoning is, is deployed in both. Now these cases involve um, the imposition of curfews by the Home Office on migrants, a practice that was previously found by the Court of Appeal in a case called Geddy to be unlawful because basically the Home Office didn't have the power to impose a curfew just to impose restrictions on residents. It's really about address rather than timing. Now both of these claimants um, were nevertheless um, still had curfews imposed on them and I think in one of the cases, Lupepe, the um, the defendant was, or the claimant, sorry, was um, he had this cur he had this curfew imposed on him, basically because of an unpublished policy. Um, it was quite a serious crime that he'd um, been involved with, and there was a policy of the Secretary of State which was unpublished, um, saying that a person in his position 
would normally be um, have a curfew imposed on them. He wasn't given an opportunity to indicate why a curfew wasn't necessary, and um, it was therefore found that he was being um, he, the curfew was imposed unlawfully. In the other cases, um, in the other case, Jolla. Um, eventually the court finds that basically that it was a false imprisonment and goes on to to make it clear that there were going to be um, damages. Um, the compensatory damages were set at £4,000, so that's um, a reasonably considerable amount, and not as much as the, the previous cases we were looking at. And um, it, again, it's an interesting case showing that um, the curfew is unlawful and um, damages can potentially be um, payable in those cases. Okay, finally on the detention issues, um, it's an interesting and perhaps controversial course of appeal case. Um, I'm going to struggle even more than usual to pronounce this one. It's uh, Roskowski, I think, against Secretary of State for the Home Department's 2017 EWCA Civ 1893. And this concerned a Polish man who'd been detained pending deportation. He'd applied for bail to the first-tier tribunal and following a hearing, bail had been granted. However, I think this is because um, he was relatively close to removal. The Home Office refused to consent to bail being granted, and the judge was just astonished, basically. The first-tier judge, um, his comments are recorded in the Court of Appeal judgment, said, A civil servant, without hearing the evidence I have heard, has decided to disregard my views. And the Court of Appeal ultimately goes on to find that... Um, the Home Office can indeed do this and withhold consent in these circumstances where removal directions are in force and removal will take place within 14 days. However, um, the Court of Appeal also went on to find that on the particular facts of this case, this particular decision to refuse consent to bail was unlawful. Um, so we lose on the general point, shall we say, um, about whether the power is lawful at all, but um, on the particular facts of the case, um, the claimant actually succeeded um, because I think on this case the removal directions were cancelled in fact so it was therefore um, not lawful in the circumstances so interesting case and um, it's, I think it's been announced just shortly before I started recording this that immigration bail, a new set of powers for immigration bail replacing temporary admission is coming into force early in 2018 and um, similar powers are, are included in the new immigration bail provisions Right, moving on to cover some of the other case law that we saw in November, starting with a Supreme Court case. This is HC against Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, 2017, UKSC 73. Now, this is about Zambrano carers and non-contributory non benefits. I'm not going to go over this in any particular detail, um, but it's very important for those who are representing people in this position. And there's a very interesting dissenting judgment, uh, or almost a dissenting judgment, I think, more, more accurately, um, from Lady Hale in this case, where she looks at... Well, her comment really is that this isn't a case involving third country nationals and their rights. It's actually a case involving child rights. And it's a, it's a very different way of, of looking at things. So um, the, the court goes on to give um, guidance to local authorities on um, Section 17 support for Zambrano carers, and it's very important to take a look at that in particular if you're advising people in this situation of what their rights might be and whether the local authority is acting correctly in the level and type of support that's being provided. 
Right, on to the Court of Appeal now. Um, we had a case called FY Somalia against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2017, EWCA, Civ 1853. And this is a deportation appeal where the claimant had succeeded at the first tier and the upper tribunal. The Secretary of State, as is commonly the case, attempted to appeal to the Court of Appeal in these circumstances. And perhaps unusually, um, the Court of Appeal rejects that appeal. Now, note that permission to appeal was granted um, and it, frankly it's baffling why it would have been granted given the um, the final judgment here and the terms in which judgment's given but um, you know, permission to appeal was granted to the Secretary of State but um, ultimately the appeal doesn't succeed and the Court of Appeal is fairly disdainful of some of the Secretary of State's arguments I think it would be fair to say describing them as unhelpful, of no assistance, not easy to follow and so on the, the, the facts of the case were it was a Somali claimant. Um, he'd left Somalia when he was nine years old, entered the UK aged 17, been granted exceptional leave. Unfortunately, he had built up a fairly substantial criminal record involving some fairly serious crimes. In um, 2014, he was served with liability for deportation. He appealed on asylum grounds, and essentially his appeal succeeded, uh, mainly on the basis that he had no nuclear family to provide financial support in Somalia, he had numerous convictions and combined with his alcoholism and his mental health issues he'd have no prospects of securing a livelihood on return to Somalia which of course is an extremely challenging environment should we say for, for anybody to be sent back to after a long period of absence. So um, that was upheld really um, on the basis also of the MOJ case, um, country guidance case and the Court of Appeal just says that this is a straightforward attack on findings of facts, uh, which led to a conclusion which, with which the Secretary of State doesn't agree. And on that basis, the Court of Appeal dismisses the appeal. It would, I think, be refreshing to see that slightly more often in some of these Secretary of State appeals, but there we go. OK, also in the Court of Appeal, we had Bedford County Council against GE Eritrea, 2017, EWCA, Civ 1521. Now, this is an age assessment case, and it bears certain similarities to the last appeal, I think it would be fair to say. Um, the local authority basically um, lost an age assessment judicial review in the court below, in the High Court, and challenged that to the Court of Appeal, but without really pleading any error of law as such. It was basically a, a factual-based appeal on the basis that the court shouldn't have reached the conclusion that it did. As you might expect, perhaps, um, being a seasoned litigator yourself, no doubt, the Court of Appeal wasn't impressed with that approach and said, look, it's not appropriate for the court to entertain an appeal which is no more than a disagreement with a judge. I'm quoting there. So um, Court of Appeal um, was, was unimpressed with the nature of the appeal and really... If, if you're going to appeal an age assessment um, finding in the court below, you're going to have to find some kind of legal error that was committed. Moving on now to the High Court, starting with an interesting case on rights of appeal. This is a case of AT against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2017, EWHC 2589 Admin. And this is a case where somebody had made an application under the immigration rules, under Appendix FM, on the basis of um, their being a victim of domestic violence. And there are two interesting features to the case. One is that the Court of Appeal, sorry, the High Court in this case, holds that there could easily be a right of appeal, and there was a right of appeal on human rights grounds in this case, even though the Home Office says that there, or routinely says that there isn't a right of appeal in domestic violence cases, and I think notifies people in notices that they don't have a right of appeal. 
Um, instead, they have a right of administrative review. So that's that's the first interesting point. And the wider point, I suppose, not just in domestic violence cases, but also more widely, um, there may well be a right of appeal on human rights grounds, even where the Home Office um, says there isn't or there isn't usually such an appeal. Um, it was also interesting because the Home Office in this case had relied on um, basically a letter um, from the alleged domestic abuser and had accepted it as true and on this basis um, rejected the claim. Now, the, the, the court points out that that is not a very sensible approach and um, it has no hesitation, it would seem, in, um, in holding that that's not a lawful approach and that, um, that frankly, they're, they're not impressed by um, Home Office practice um, in this particular case. Now, I'm familiar with other cases where the Home Office caseworkers have done similar things and um, you know, a letter from um, somebody who's shopping a migrant is, is taken as gospel, whereas anything the migrant themselves says is um, subject to um, severe doubt, and that is not um, the right approach. The letter from um, the letter shopping the migrant should also be subjected to normal degree of scepticism or, or, or at least um, scrutiny. Right, another Court of Appeal case. This is a perhaps controversial one, a case called A against Secretary of State for Health this time, 2017, EWHC 281. And essentially this is a gentleman who wasn't legally resident and who had um, some very serious health problems and was, was hoping for a donated kidney um, for a, a kidney transplant. Um, and basically he brought a challenge to the Secretary of State's policy that only a person who with um, right of abode or settlement uh, would potentially be um, on the priority list of people who might receive such a transplant. Um, and without being on the priority list, there's basically no prospect of um, uh, of being the recipient of, of a donated kidney. So, um, yeah, he fails in his case, basically, and um, the, the court holds that the policy is rational and that it's justified by the um, statutory framework. Right, now on to a few tribunal cases. I'm starting with the D'Souza case. Now, this is um, a first-tier finding, so we don't normally talk about first-tier tribunal cases. They don't have um, any real precedent value, but this is quite an interesting one because it's a um, lady who was living in Northern Ireland and had been born, I think, in Northern Ireland, but identified solely as being Irish and held an Irish passport but not a British passport. And she had applied for her third country national spouse to live with her and been told by the Home Office that she didn't qualify because she was a dual national because she was British. Um, she was extremely unhappy about this and challenged it and um, her appeal to the first tier tribunal seems to have succeeded. Now I don't think I've actually seen the reasoning but the way that it's been reported in the press suggests that the judge held that the Good Friday Agreement in some way overrode British nationality law or disapplied it in some way, which is, I think it'd be fair to say, a surprising conclusion. Um, so apparently that is under appeal by the Home Office, and um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one works out in the end. Now, of course, the Loons case um, was from the um, European Court of um, Justice, means that dual nationals can actually make use of um, treaty rights. So it may be that this falls away in the end, but um, it, legally interesting um, argument. Um, another interesting tribunal case, this is EA and others, Article 3 medical cases, Papishvili not applicable, 2017 UKUT 445 IAC. 
And this is a case where basically the upper tribunal holds that um, a new Strasbourg case called Papishvili on um, these kind of Article 3 medical treatment cases, such as um, a person with a very serious illness or health problem in the UK who requires uh, life-sustaining treatment in the UK and won't receive it if removed, where they try to argue that they shouldn't be removed because they will die and they'll die horribly, basically. Um, These particularly acute cases in in kidney transplant and um, dialysis type 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 cases where somebody really will die very quickly um, after they've been removed and in very unpleasant circumstances whereas they are you know relatively healthy um, while they still reside in the UK and receive treatment so um, the, the the background is that the um, case law of Strasbourg had appeared to be very restrictive in the way that these cases might be argued and then um, a new case called Papishvili came out suggesting that everybody had misunderstood what the court had been saying earlier and actually the exceptional circumstances would be should be more widely understood and um, broaden out the number of cases that, that that's what effectively broadened out the number of cases that might succeed. Now the tribunal in this case holds that it's not going to follow this Papishvili case because it was bound by Court of Appeal and House of Lords Supreme Court um, decisions so um, that basically rejected, I think, the argument that Papishvili was a clarification and instead held that it was a new um, departure in, in Strasbourg case law that wasn't consistent with UK law. The tribunal only had to have regard to Strasbourg case law and decided basically that they weren't going to follow it. Now, permission um, has been granted to appeal to the Court of Appeal, so that's not the last word necessarily, and it'll be interesting to see where, where that goes next and what happens. Um, quick mention for a case on Tier 2. Chefs at restaurants with a takeaway service basically aren't um, eligible for, for, for Tier 2 skilled worker visas. Now, this is a case where um, a challenge was made um, by two restaurants. That's cases called Suparwan against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2017 EWHC 2918 Admin, and also Imam against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2017 EWHC 2917 admin um, you can see they're literally one digit apart those ones and um, I think most of the um, judgment is is copied and pasted between the two basically um, and this is a case where the restaurants were challenging the Secretary of State's policy that um, if you're a chef in a restaurant that doesn't have a takeaway service then you might potentially qualify and if you're a chef at a restaurant that does have a takeaway service of any kind basically um, then you you don't qualify and to cut a long story short the challenge failed so there you go um, a further tribunal case this returns to something we we're talking about earlier in a slightly different context this is age assessments now this one um, is in the upper tribunal it's AS against Kent County Council age assessment dental evidence 2017 UKUT 446 and it, it's an interesting case because it's a good recital of what the law is in these cases the tribunal also looks at expert evidence from two of the, the leading experts, um, Professor uh, Graham Roberts and Professor Tim Cole, who very much don't agree with each other on the, the value of, of dental assessment in assessing age. And um, the tribunal's pretty unimpressed, I think it would be fair to say, with uh, much of the evidence that it heard, not just from the experts, particularly from Professor Roberts, but also from some of the social workers involved. And... Um, Yes, it's worth reading, but it's a reminder, really, that the Home Office itself considers that dental x-rays 
um, shouldn't be used and won't use them, whereas local authorities don't, or some local authorities anyway, don't take that line and do insist on, on continuing to subject children to X-rays, which of course involve exposure to admittedly low doses of radiation, but nevertheless doses of radiation where there's no clear therapeutic purpose and children can't realistically properly consent to that. Okay, I'm just going to end by giving you some mentions of um, some explainer pieces that we put out in November. First of all, we put out a long, detailed blog post on naturalising or registering as a British citizen and what the good character requirements are, covering all the different um, permutations of that. Um, Also put out a very long blog post, um, but I hope useful, on modern banishment, as I've called it, the deprivation and nullification of British citizenship, going through um, some of the arguments that are available, the rise in the number of cases, what kind of cases come up, what the Home Office policies are, and so on. And then on a slightly lighter note, um, a a piece by um, contributor Nicholas Webb on Meghan Markle and the immigration rules on marriage, looking at fiancé visas, marriage visas, and whether um, Harry might potentially qualify as a sponsor and on what basis. So um, some some fun was had, I think it would be fair to say, in that one, but uh, hopefully, nevertheless, a useful exploration of the immigration issues that that case throws up. I hope that's been helpful, and goodbye. See you next month.